And I've got to say that every time I'm here, my heart is um, is reminded why Miami is, is, is and always will be my home. Wherever and whenever that day comes that God calls me home, these are the streets, the sounds, the smells, the people that cultivated inside of me that everyone matters. And back in 1991, when my best friend called me on my birthday in January and he said, I've sent you an airplane ticket. You're going to fly with me for your birthday. And I said, I can't go. I'm pastoring up here in Miami on the north end of the county. I said, I'm busy. We had two locations and a couple of schools, and I was just busy, too busy, too busy to hear the voice of God. And he said, well, too bad. I've already sent your ticket. And the next thing I know, I was in Eastern Europe and ended up in Albania after the fall of communism. The dictator was still hanging by his neck. And the newly elected president took us to an orphanage the next day. And there we stood in front of a compound where parents, just like you and I, were handing their children over a concrete wall. It had glass, broken glass up in the top for security. And, and I'll never forget the sight. It changed my life forever because there was blood flowing down the wall where the parents would try and keep their children from being cut and so the, he would, the, they would hand them over and cut their arms and the glass and the walls were covered in blood. And I couldn't imagine what was going on. The gate opened for us and, and there in about a one city block area was a sea of children. As we made our way through the, the children and they began to part, they looked so hungry and so afraid. We walked up to the steps of this small four-story building and there stood a nurse somewhere I have that picture. And she was holding a lifeless baby that had died from exposure. And God was to use that to shape my life 30 years later. Everyone that hears me today, God has a specific message He wants to deliver to you. Last week when we got home from India... Last Sunday morning, I was speaking at Key Biscayne Community Church for my friend, Pastor Dennis Eastling. And as I was going over the bridge there at Key Biscayne that we all know very well, there was just bicycle after bicycle after bicycle after bicycle. I remember when those very nice bicycles, when I lived here in Miami, were about $1,000, $1,200. Now they are $5,000, $7,500, There were just hundreds of those bicycles going out to one of the most affluent islands in the entire world. And I thought for every bicycle, I could rescue another girl. I could provide her health and hope and education for a year for the price of one of those bicycles. My mind always goes back to that day when my best friend said to me, I'm going to take you to Albania. 
I said, no, I'm not going to go. And here were my excuses. I have a church here. I have a school here. I have a family here. I don't have time. I made so many excuses until my best friend said, as your pastor said a moment ago, like iron that sharpens iron, he said, I'm not taking no for an answer. You will go. And there I stood in front of that orphanage and God whispered in my ear, this is how I want you to spend the rest of your life. And 30 years later, places like GB Road, 300,000 girls are sold there every day. They have no, no hope. They have no help. You see, girls are simply commodities in India. They are not treated like boys. Boys are kings. They are sold into sex trafficking and slavery. They are sold into child marriage. They are, they are less than animals in India. They are just sold as possessions. And so we come with our mission to rescue children and transform their lives in Jesus' name. And as I said in the video, it will this March 25th be five years in India and we won't quit. And I could not possibly do it had God not given me Violetta. I could not possibly do it. My wife is here this morning and Every morning when I wake up early, I'm, I'm a real early guy. I was up at four this morning. I was walking and praying and thinking about what I would say to you today. And I begin my day always with the Lord's Prayer as I begin my walk. My wife always lays out our devotional so that I can read it. And then as I go along, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to to help guide me like He did that day in Albania, 1991. To help me see and feel and hear the purpose of my life. You're in this first initiative. And so this morning I just, I just ask you, my family, Numa Church, my family, to be reminded of what's first. Because until you get to a place that you're fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, fully, you'll never say to the Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to become? Because you see, your salvation is the beginning point of your journey. So often here in America, we think salvation is simply praying to receive Christ as our Savior. But Jesus said, follow me. Put down your nets. Walk away from the entanglements that have held you, the addictions, the sin, heartbreak, the heartache, and follow me. Take my burden upon you. My burden is light. But we're entangled in America. I'm reminded every time I come home, we are entangled in America in comparison and more. And like everyone else, and we, we search, the, we are a people of so much, so much. 
And yet we find ourselves all the time thinking, why do I have this big hole running right through the center of me? So we stuff more worthless things, more worthless things into that hole. And for about five minutes we go, yeah, that makes me feel better. And all of a sudden we're back to that place in our life to where we ask ourselves this question. Is this all there is? Because life can be tough. It can, it can put in front of us such obstacles that our human ability cannot, cannot fix. And it seems like in those tough times is when we find ourselves humbled. I read this morning, I see my friend Regis Giles here this morning, her dad posted this quote today. And I want it just to sink in for, for a moment. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of history, said every Christian has a choice between being humble and being humbled. When I'm around my wife, I realize what humility is. She is the greatest giver I've ever met. There is nothing that she does not do for me. Nothing. And it causes me to think about my generosity. I'll think to myself, hmm, how do I become more like her? I'm coming down here with you guys. How do I become more like her? Or I meet people like your pastor. You know, you're on the other side of the world. And, and you might think a lot of people encourage us. But it's not the case. Pastor Chris will reach out and just say, I'm thinking about you today. How are you doing? Or my friend Oscar back here who just brought his son Noah to India. It's a costly trip. Other side of the world. More than 8,500 miles, 35 hours of flying to get to our compound. And people will say, no, I could never do that. Why not? Deep down inside, people will say to me all the time, I could never do that, but we'll help you do it. We'll pray for you and I'll, I'll be kind and smile and we're so grateful for your prayers and we're grateful for your help. But I'll think, why can't you? A week? A month? A year? But no, we always have excuses about what's not first. And so my challenge to you today, to us, is how do you decide what's first? What's the legacy that you want to leave for your children and grandchildren? Our first granddaughter came to India this year. She's 12 years old on her way to 13. Her mom brought her over to visit us. And I watched as Bentley saw and felt and hurt what the utterly poor faced. We have little girls that at seven years old are sold to 35-year-old men in marriage. We rescue them. We have a village that 
Every girl for 1,400 years has been sold. Every girl into sex trafficking. It's a way of life. A father, when you sit down to talk to him, say, tell me about your family. And he says, I have two girls in Bombay and I have a girl in Mumbai. It doesn't mean that they're there working in IT or working in in, uh, the fashion industry. It means they're sex trafficked. They're simply a commodity. And so we enter into Miami, a very difficult place to be humble, because men have paraded in front of them regularly. I think we call it machismo. I'm a self-made man. And I want to say to you this morning, there are no self-made men. It is God and the grace of God and the people that have invested in our lives to get us where we are today, wherever we are today. And I'm here to tell you the presentation of our legacy begins and ends with this word, humility. Generous people are humble people. I'm here to tell you, I meet with wealthy people all the time and I plead with them to help us. I plead. And on occasion they give us a gift. But I'm here to tell you who gives the most and gives the most sacrificially. It's the poor. The humble people. And here's what I've learned about the wealthy. You can can be humble or you can be made to be humble. That's how you think about what's first. I want to show you the picture of a man that is in a leper colony where we've rescued two girls. This is the president of the colony. If you'll look down there at his hands, can everybody see his hands? And his feet you can't see, but he lost his hands and feet to leprosy. So we go into this colony where there are about 125 children. And this man is our champion. When we see him, he's not smiling there, but he'll smile. He has no teeth. And he'll hug us. And we'll have more children to take to our Hope Center. And that's his legacy. What's your legacy? Have you lost your hands and feet? and established a legacy to help children that have no hope. That's what this man does. The next picture. This lady and her husband, late one night, we came to this leprosy colony. And she was sitting there on the wall. It was dark. I could not see that she had no legs. She has this beautiful face. You see that smile? It's on her face every time we see her, her and her husband. Both of them, no legs. They have one child. As we were distributing food, and the people began to line up to get food and uh, beans and rice and sugar and oil, she hopped down off the wall. She had flip-flops on her hands, and she drug herself over to the line with a bag in her teeth. When she sees us, 
She jumps off the wall or comes down the sidewalk, dragging herself along on her flip-flops. And she has that big smile looking up here and we'll get down on our knees and we'll hug her and always give her a little bit of money and some food and hope in Jesus' name. What's your excuse? When you hear the whispers of the Lord Jesus Christ in regards to your your life and how your life is spent, Do you have that smile? Next picture. This little girl, every time we went to the leprosy colony, every time she'd come to Violetta and put her arms around Violetta and cry and smile and say, I want to go to the Hope Center. So we went to her mom, who's paraplegic, this little girl, and said she's most welcome to come. We went back the next time to begin to fill out the paperwork for her to come and be with us and have a transformed life. And her father said, no. We sat in this little concrete room. It's not, it's not six feet, seven feet wide, maybe ten feet long. And her mother's up on this little makeshift bed, paraplegic. And we said, why not? With tears running down her face, she said, My husband said that this girl is a gift from God to take care of us. So she cannot go. So every time we rescue a girl and we have hope in our hearts, we face times of heartbreak, heartbreak, when we walk away and we cannot help. This morning we're going to look at one passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 25 as we begin to set in order the question of the first initiative. Truly, are we stewards? Are we truly stewards? In the land of wealth, we have a small home in St. Petersburg. I never say that's the land of wealth. We live in a blue-collar neighborhood. And I come to places like Miami, Key Biscayne, Aventura, Miami Shores. I go to these magnificent areas of this city right here on Kendall Drive. Homes, I just come up on this corner. What does it say? The mansions of. And yet proportionately, churches are giving less. Christians are saying, I have other priorities. Have you seen the cost of education lately? We are working two and three jobs just trying to make ends meet. And yet when I drive up to homes here in America, I think to myself, we have made choices to get ourselves over our head. So what does Jesus say about that? Matthew chapter 25, verse number 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. So, when you come to a passage of Scripture, you want to look at the beginning of that. You back over to the beginning of the chapter, 25 in the beginning, it says, then the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about the context of the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what's first in the kingdom of heaven? When the Son of Man comes, He will give us clarity. 
When He comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, He will sit down on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So here's our Savior, and in the final judgment, He Himself separates us. The sheep from the goats. The sheep being those that inherit eternal life. The goats, the ones condemned that spend eternity in hell. Now this is a pretty important test, would you not say? So if I was to say, I've come here today to help get you ready for a test. Of course we want a successful first initiative. Of course we want all the men to go to men's weekend. We had glorious reports coming out of the women's weekend. We want to have a great service day. But I'm here to tell you, if none of those things happened, none of them, I want to get you ready for this test. This is a judgment that's coming. And everyone hearing my voice cannot say that they didn't know. The passage says, and he will place the sheep on the right, verse 33, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I thought they were coming to take me away. <laughs> Come you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. Now, how many of you would say today that you have given your heart to Jesus Christ as Savior? How many of you would say that? The best you know how. All right. So would you not say then that you have inherited the kingdom of God? Is that what you would say? How many of you would believe that? You prayed to invite Christ in your life. You've inherited the kingdom of God. Yes? I'm not setting you up. Well, maybe a little bit. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. This is very important. Then the righteous, who is that? Those that have given their hearts to Jesus Christ genuinely and sincerely. Then the righteous will answer him saying, now here's where I have the word circled, I think, up here. Next. When did, or a stranger will show you how, uh, then the righteous will reply, let me go back to my text where I have it circled. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, and if you have a pen, if you have a Bible, that's why I hate smartphones, please get a Bible. Because one day you'll come back and you'll look, you'll look, you'll say, I remember, I remember Pastor Nowry saying one day, where was that? You can't do that with a smartphone. You go back in a Bible and you date it and you mark it and you revisit it because you'll make a decision. My hope is today you'll make a decision. That's what I want. And I want you many times over your life to revisit this. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, 
Circle this word. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Say that word with me. When? When? He says in verse 38, And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Verse 39, 38. There's the word again, when, the third time. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king, the son of God, will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, my sisters, these little ones, you did it to me. If genuinely you're a Christian today, genuinely a Christian, you can point to having taken care of Jesus. And when you say, but when did I do that? When you cared for one of the least of these. Can you say that? Can you say that you have intentionally put someone that is sick and abandoned and hungry and no place to sleep, someone that is trafficked, enslaved, a little girl somewhere in this world that last night, as in India, was made as an eight-year-old to have sex with more than ten men. The price to pay for a girl for a sexual relationship, there's no other way to say it is about 40 cents U.S. And they don't care whether she lives or dies. You can't say any longer that you didn't know. The only thing you can do is turn your back. You see, my wife and I, we come back to the States and I bring this talk. We go to a dinner party. We see someone in a restaurant and they sit down with us and they say, Oh, what are you doing now, Pastor Nara? We're in India rescuing children. What does that mean? Well, we go to places like GB Road. We go to villages. Like my wife and I went to Bandasendri where the girls are all around tables, just little girls dressed up in $2 dresses where men drive up in trucks and cars. And while we're sitting there, these, these madams send them out to their cars for 40 cents. And we plead with them to give us more girls. You ever looked in the face of a little girl that you're sitting this close to when she gets up and has to walk out there to a car or to a truck? And Jesus said that when we take care of these little ones, we took care of Him. Now this is one of the tougher passages of Scripture. This is not a prosperity message. This is not a we're going to have a bigger house in America kind of message. This is a message that comes from the Son of Man. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but as I was sitting here a minute ago next to your pastor, I said, and I have knots in my stomach right now as I get ready to read it to you because it's the reality of the truth. He says in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, remember on his right, the righteous that have taken care of Jesus through the care that you have provided to the little ones. In verse 41, those on the left, the goats, those that do not have sincere faith. 
Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, and you can imagine the emotion when they cry out, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison did not minister to you? And he will say, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It is not a popular thing in America to talk about passages like this because we want everybody to be lifted up, believe in the possibilities. The concept of only in America do we talk about more when we have more than any country on the face of the earth. So what will you say in this judgment? How in the world do we ever say we weren't willing to sacrifice one meal? My wife and I went the other day to Flanagan's, one of my favorite restaurants. When I pastored in Miami, uh, the fellow that owns Flanagan's kids went to Dade Christian School, our school. There's one right down the street here that I'm hoping the pastor takes me to today. I'm going ahead and announce that. And I will say to him, I was hungry. Did you feed me? <laughs> so it cost us like 40-something dollars. We can change a girl's life for a month for that much money. And we're the ones that have to go out there and see their faces. So we'll sit at these dinner parties and we'll tell these stories and this is what we hear. Someone around that table will say, no, can that possibly be true, an eight-year-old girl? Yep. You ought to see their faces when they come back. The next picture. These two little girls, are are there two prettier girls in Miami? Maybe Bella, this morning being baptized, I was so happy to see that. These two little girls come from a leper colony. Once you're tagged a leper, you can never get a job. Once you're tagged a leper, all you can do is beg on the corners. Once you're tagged as a leper, you can never go to school. These two little girls are at our Hope Center. Their mother is scarred from the top of her forehead all the way down her face, down her neck, and I'm sure down her body so severely that the scar tissue has made her face frozen. And she said, would you take my little girls? The next picture. This is Ashwani. How old is she, baby? 15, 16 years old. Bondesendry Village, 1,400 years of selling girls like this. 1,400 years they were first sold to the kings. Then when they did away with the rajas, the kings, in 1947, they had no 
socioeconomical uh, basis. They had no way to get to education, and so they started selling them to the big brothels, to the side of the road, to slavery if they weren't pretty. This girl was the smartest of the whole group. We'd go out and do preventative work in this village, and on Thursday nights we gather about a hundred children, and we teach the Bible, and we do uh, uh, school skills, and encourage them to get an education and then invite them to the Hope Center. And so this girl was destined for the Hope Center. Her English was very good. Violetta would sit with her every time we were there. And I took Oscar and Noah and this team out there to visit Bondesendry Village to see what we were doing with these girls. And Ashwani wasn't there. She was down at the gate when we got out of our bus, and I went up to her mom. You see, to go to school in India for a year, for a year, is about a hundred U.S. dollars. And so I'm down there, and I talk to her mom through my director of translation that, that my wife is willing to pay to get her into school, even to bring her to the Hope Center, to give her an opportunity. And I've I've never seen the look on Ashwani's face. It was broken. And her mother said no. She said no. We went back by after we had our little program with the children. And her father and her uncle were there. And it became a dangerous situation. Because you see, they had sold Ashwani. To sell a little girl like this into sex trafficking and the hell to come is an unbearable thing to face. And so we come back in and we say, Numa Church, if you were the only church that was our partner and to do this work, you were vital to us. That doesn't just break into, is your pastor and Gabby? Are they stewards? No, it, it, it moves deep. Oscar's a steward. Noah, Chloe, they support us every month. I just got done inviting Regis. Regis could do anything she wants in this country. She said she was willing to come and help. You walk along in life and you come to this place to where you know you're going to see Jesus Christ your Savior. And He said, I was hungry and I was thirsty. I had no clothes. I was sick. But Lord, when did we know that? And He said, what you saw in these little ones and did or did not do, you did or did not do for me. There are no excuses as to why we don't. That's why we stand at the table like we did this, we will do today. My wife will be out there in her, this is the customary Indian outfit, sari, we call that, not sari, like I'm sorry. It's called a sari, S-A-R-I. This is what the ladies wear over there when they go to church. She'll be out there and if you want to sponsor a girl, you can sign up. Some of you we had some kind of problem with and you, and we couldn't make it work for you when we were here before. That's our fault. Come back out and we'll make it work. But the opportunity is yours. But greater than that, as your pastor said, I want our church to have stewardship down in the fabric, deep into who our identity is. And so I ask you, what will you do?
What's first? The Lord's first, my wife, our children, our nine grandchildren, our 121 children now rescued in India, a thousand in Kenya, Africa, 350 in Costa Rica, that every day when we get up, every morning people say, why do you get up so early? I've got about 1,700 children to feed today that by the grace of God are rescues and being transformed in Jesus' name. What's your legacy? Join us in the journey. Make Numa a people that God's first. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. And in this time of prayer, of course, if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I'll say it the way my friend Billy Graham said it. What's the, what possibly could stand before, between you and God? What possibly... What, you come this morning looking for answers and hope and forgiveness. Why would you not today give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Why not? Why not? Why not? If you're here today and you need to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you don't know your sins are forgiven. You have not taken that first step of faith. In a moment, I'm going to pray with you and you can receive Christ as Savior. And you can begin the journey of following Him. You may be here today and and facing great difficulties, challenges, health, finances, loss, heartbreak. The Bible says, casting all your cares on Him, on Jesus, for He's the one that cares for you. In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer, and I'm going to invite you that need prayer to come up and just kneel here at the altar, just along the front up here. In an act of obedience, just come, kneel, pray, and ask God to take these burdens from you so that you might more effectively follow Him. Some of you today may be in need of of spiritual guidance, someone just to talk to, to get insight and wisdom, to navigate through these tough times in life. The staff will be down front. These are competent, capable pastors. And they'll walk you through and give you the advice you need to have new direction in life. And so very quietly, let's stand to our feet. And I'm going to pray. Everyone standing. If you are here today right now, and you don't know that heaven's your home, you've not invited Jesus Christ into your life and asked Him to forgive you of your sins. Pray this prayer with me right now. That prayer is, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I am sorry for my sins. And dear Lord, I want nothing to stand between you and I right now. I want you to hear my prayer as I give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, who was raised from the dead the third day. The best way I know how, I promise to follow Him. 
While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning sincerely and genuinely, would you simply raise your hand and by the uplifted hand say, Pastor Nari, I prayed that prayer. Remember me in prayer as you close. Did you pray that prayer this morning? Just raise it up. Thank you. Others? The testimony of the Lord. God bless you, men. I'm proud of both of you men. I really am. Anyone else? How many of you are in real need of prayer this morning? You face real challenges in life and you're in need of prayer. Would you raise your hand and say that's me? Huge needs of prayer. Just hold it up. All right, all of you that raise your hand, I want you to come down here and let me pray for you right now. Just come here. Not going to embarrass you, call you out or something. Just come and let me pray with you. All of you. Just raise your hand. You say, I'm really going through some tough times. Just come on. Just for a moment, I'm going to pray with you. I'll wait just a minute. Anyone else? Father, I pray now for these who have come. I don't know what they face, but you do. You are the God of the universe. And I pray right now your intervention into their hearts and lives. This is a tough life. And I pray this morning your your protection upon them, the restoration of their hearts and souls, their minds and emotions. I pray, Father, that you would put people around them to show compassion and care, to walk alongside of them and give them advice. And then, Holy Spirit of God, that you just permeate their lives and be the guide with the wisdom that passes all understanding. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.